This show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailywire and take their sleep quiz to find the mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has just the mattress for you. I took the Helix sleep quiz and was matched with a Helix midnight mattress because I wanted a medium firmness and I sleep on my side. I am sleeping so much better on my new mattress. Don't want to take my word for it? Well, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, and you won't believe how well you'll sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. That's helixsleep.com slash dailywire, code HELIXPARTNER20. Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the Biden administration goes for gold in the woke Olympics by appointing a gender-fluid drag queen dog fetishist to a high-ranking federal post. Yes, we'll have more information about that. Also, speaking of sexual degeneracy, parents in one school district are outraged after their young children were given an assignment asking them to list their sexual desires and preferences and comparing it to pizza. We'll have to explain that one as well. And a new Disney Junior show teaches kids about microaggressions through song. Plus, many Democrats have changed their tune about masking. What accounts for this sudden conversion? Finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss what might be the most horrific story of racism you'll ever hear. And it happened in a Gucci store. And the victim is a rapper. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. You know, the pro-life movement must maintain its momentum now more than ever. And what better way to help than by supporting the charities and causes you care about? Even if the Supreme Court were to strike down Roe v. Wade abortion, uh, you know, tomorrow, abortion would still exist in America in many states. Charity Mobile, then, is the pro-life phone company that you should be supporting. They partner with you to automatically support the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice with 5% of your monthly plan price and have sent millions of dollars the charity so far. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. When you mention offer code Walsh, certain restrictions apply. Charity Mobile makes it easy to switch. You can keep your existing phone number and you might even be able to keep your existing phone. But if you need a new phone, no problem there. Charity Mobile has a variety of options from the latest 5G phones to low-cost smartphones and basic flip phones as well. They even have a phone with parental controls that allows you to disable and password protect Wi-Fi and cellular data usage, text messaging, picture messaging, and more. Uh, and if you have kids, then I would I would uh, plead with you to take advantage of that option if you're getting them a phone. All of their monthly plans include unlimited domestic minutes and messages, which can be shared by up to eight lines on a family plan. No contracts, no termination fees, and no risk with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Great live customer support and great nationwide coverage on America's most reliable network. So switch to Charity Mobile and support the causes you care about. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. As Western civilization marches inexorably into collapse and extinction, many landmarks uh, kind of mark our way, our path as we go along. Many unprecedented events and historic moments occur. As we get nearer and nearer to the edge of the cliff, 
we find that we pass these signposts with greater frequency. And so history was made yet again this week, though you may not have heard about it. According to multiple reports, the Biden administration has hired a man named Sam Brinton to an important and high-level post at the Department of Energy. Brinton will be the uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy, where he will be tasked with the important role of, as the title suggests, disposing of nuclear waste. This is the kind of thing that you would want to entrust to only the sanest and most clear-headed sort of person. But instead, Biden has decided to use this appointment as another opportunity to earn woke points from the far left. Brinton, as it turns out, is a longtime LGBT activist. Most recently, he was the head of advocacy and government affairs for a gay rights group called the Trevor Project, where he worked on important issues like pronouns. Listen. I use they and them as my pronouns. And when someone uses they and them as my pronouns, I feel like that person is listening to me. That person cares about me and that person wants to have a conversation with me. Pronouns are a fascinating part of modern culture. I don't think many people think about them very often until someone like myself or others say their pronouns. So when I introduce myself, I generally say, hi, my name's Sam Britton. I use they and them as my pronouns, and I serve as head of advocacy and government affairs for the Trevor Project. I don't know why they always dress like they just raided the wardrobe at a, you know, Tim Burton film or something. His extensive experience promoting pronoun usage has undoubtedly prepared him to run a division within the Department of Energy, of course. But we haven't even scratched the woke surface when it comes to Sam Britton. Um, on his own Twitter account, Britton brags that he will be, to his knowledge, the first gender fluid person appointed to a position of leadership in the federal government. But he sells himself a little short, I think. He's uh, not just the first gender-fluid person to hold a high-ranking position in the government, mostly because there is no such thing as being gender-fluid. He is, though, as far as I know, the first drag queen and dog fetishist. Now, we know that Bill Clinton was into some weird stuff, so it's possible that Britain's appointment is not as historic as it might seem. But we can certainly say that he is the first person in a high-ranking federal post to be open about these things, at least. And he is indeed... Very open. All too open. The National Pulse reports, quote, a recent high-level uh, hire at the Department of Energy, Energy's Office of Nuclear Energy, is a drag queen LGBTQ plus activist who has lectured on kink at college campuses and participated in interviews about fetish role play. In one interview, Sam Britton, now a top Biden official, even discusses having sex with animals. He also goes by Sister Ray Dioactive, his drag queen alter ego. In his own website's bio, Britain reveals, quote, Sam has worn his stilettos to Congress to advise legislators about nuclear policy and to the White House, where he advised President Obama and Michelle Obama on LGBT issues. He shows young men and women everywhere that everywhere he goes that they can be who they are and gives them courage. Once, while he was walking around Disney World in six-inch stilettos with his boyfriend, a young gay boy saw Sam with his boyfriend and started crying. He told his mother, it's true, Mom. We can be our own princesses here. Yeah, I'm sure this guy's caused a lot of children to bust out in tears when they when they see him. Um, an inspiring story, though. Specifically, what it inspires is nausea. And it gets worse. Back to the National Pulse, it says, 
Britain is an active member of the Washington, D.C. chapter of a drag queen society known as the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which lists him as the principal contact on its 2016 and 2018 tax forms. During the group's Lavender Mass 2021, Britain can be seen referring to Anthony Fauci, who was declared a saint, as Daddy Fauci. In a separate interview, Britain explains how he role plays as a pup handler. Britain explains, quote, I actually have trouble when we transition from pup play to having sex. Like, no, I can't have you whimper like that when we're having sex, he says, because I don't want to mix that world. It's interesting because he doesn't have to come out of pup mode to have me have sex with him. I personally have to bring him out of pup perception for me, but then I'm still treating him as a submissive to me. You know, I've always scoffed at the idea of trigger warnings, but that might have been an occasion to use one. Too late now. Sorry about that. Now, if you, for some reason, want some pictures to go along with those descriptions, journalist Andy No provides them here. And you can see, if you're watching this on video, you can see Britain with his gay lovers in leather dog masks and leashes. Um, these must be the dog-faced pony soldiers that Biden warned us about. If only we had listened. So this is who, we will, who will be in charge of nuclear waste disposal over at the Department of Energy. The good news is that when we have our own Chernobyl, the eventual HBO miniseries about it will be even more interesting. Meanwhile, many people on social media have defended Britain from criticism, saying that his sex life is none of our business. You know, it's, it's, it's not relevant to the work he was hired to do. And we shouldn't kink shame him. The problem with that argument, of course, is that he has made his sex life our business. He has spent years advertising it posting photographs, doing interviews, and so on. So if you don't want anyone to know about or comment on your sexual proclivities, then don't stand on the street corner with a bullhorn shouting, hey guys, let me tell you about my sexual proclivities. And especially don't do it with a leather dog mask on. But of course, as always with LGBT activists, they very much want the public to know about their sex lives and to have opinions about their sex lives. It's just that they only want us to have one specific opinion, which is an opinion of approval, affirmation, and celebration. Unfortunately for them, it doesn't work that way. See, when you submit a certain fact about yourself to the public, when you say to the public, hey, let me tell you about myself, isn't that interesting? You don't get to assign them an opinion ahead of time. You don't get to say to someone, a stranger, here, I'm going to give you this fact about myself, and before I tell you, Here's the only opinion you're allowed to have about it. No, you've opened yourself up for whatever judgment people feel like making. And no matter what the judgment is, you're not a victim. Because they can have whatever opinion they want. And the judgment in this case about a drag queen dog fetishist is going to be, among many people, and ought to be, um, rather negative. Now, is it relevant to the job that he's supposed to do? Does, does this even matter? Well, it does, because only a mentally unbalanced and severely sick person would have any desire to dress someone up in a leather dog outfit and walk them around on a leash. There's a sentence, one of many that I never thought I'd have to say. Only such a person would be sexually tantalized by the idea of someone pretending to be a dog. I mean, this is, I, I shouldn't have to tell you, this is bestiality. You know, this is you're attracted to someone because they're pretending to be a dog. Your personal life is, is going to actually be the best reflection of who you are as a person. That's why we call it your personal life. 
And the reflection in Sam Britton's case is quite horrifying. This is to say nothing of the, the national security risks of having someone like this anywhere near nuclear material. The concern isn't so much what he would do with that material. I mean, that's part of the concern. But even more so, what a country like China might be able to do with someone like him. I mean, just think, we know what Britain has made public about himself. Now just imagine what he has not made public. I mean, for this guy, this, the, the, the things that, that he advertises, the things about his life that he says, oh yeah, everyone should know about this. I mean, what are the things where he says, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody about this? I don't know what they are. But imagine if China discovers those things. Putting the drag queen and the dog outfit into a position of leadership in the Department of Energy is a big blinking neon sign shouting, hey, China, please blackmail this guy. Besides, the final point here is let's remember how the left treated people like Amy Coney Barrett, Mike Pence. Their personal lives, their beliefs about sex, were considered very relevant. The dogma lives loudly within you. Who can forget that phrase to Amy Coney Barrett? And what were those beliefs? Well, simply that people should get married, stay married, and only have sex with their own spouses. These, what we must now call traditional attitudes about sex, were meant to be disqualifying. And yet a man who fantasizes about having sex with dogs ought not be disqualified? Now, you see, it's not that the left thinks sex is private and has no relevance to the public. Far from it. They've done more than anyone to make sex into a public affair in more ways than one. No, it's that there is a certain extremely depraved set of ideas about sex that they want to promote and normalize. And that's what this guy's appointment is obviously really about. Now let's get to our five headlines. I don't know about you, but I hate being lied to. It just fills me with rage. And it happens enough with the left that it should be happening with my food as well. If I can't trust my food, then who in this world can I trust? But it turns out that 85% of the grass-fed beef in the U.S. is imported from overseas. And here's the lie. These foreign products are often labeled product of USA since they're minimally processed here. That's, how they, that's the loophole they get through. But don't pay a premium for low-quality foreign meat. Good Rancher sells 100% American meat and delivers it to your door for a great price. They only sell 100% American meat sourced from local American farms. Their beef is prime and upper choice, the highest quality possible. They've got ribeyes, they've got T-bones, they've got the New York strips, and much more. The best thing about, about um, Good Ranchers is that the food is just really, really good. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com Walsh today to solve your meat problem once and for all. Get the transparency, quality, and cuts you've been craving. Order now with code Walsh to get $30 off your box. Now's the time to support American farms and ranches. They're hurting and you're hungry, so solve both of those problems with a box of American meat delivered. Whoever buys the meat in your house needs to go to goodranchers.com slash Walsh today. Um, the, the other question about Sam Britton and, uh, and his appointment to the, you know, the nuclear division over the Department of Energy is whether anyone in the Republican Party will have the minimal courage required to criticize it or say anything about it. Because we know, as, as discussed with the Democrats, when it came to Mike Pence, they were, they were very eager to say, I don't know, this guy only has sex with his wife. Seems a little suspicious. I don't know. I don't know if he's cut out for this job. Um, well, will any Republican 
stand up and say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm actually not okay with the dog fetishist, drag queen, gender fluid guy having this position. Probably not. As it stands right now, this is, he's put into that position totally unopposed. All right. Um, let's unfortunately stay in the same theme here of sexual degeneracy. Um, reading now from uh, uh, Tim Pool's website, timcast.com, says a Connecticut school is being criticized for sending eighth graders an assignment requiring them to compare their preferred pizza toppings to their sexual preferences. The school is now calling this assignment a mistake. Students at John F. Kennedy Middle School in Enfield recently received the pizza and consent assignment. The assignment asked students to compare their favorite pizza toppings to their favorite sex acts. Um, I think, in fact, we have a a mother of one of these kids. She spoke to the the Board of Education about it, and uh, she has a little bit more information about it. Let's, Let's listen to this clip. Just last week, a school assignment in JFK labeled Pizza and Consent was sent out for students. What's pizza got to do with it, you wonder? We can use pizza as a metaphor for sex. Those are the first two lines of this assignment, which is centered around establishing consent and boundaries, except for page two, where it takes it one step further and states, now that you know the metaphor for sex, let's explore your preference. Draw and color your favorite type of pizza. Mirror these preferences in relation to sex. Here are some examples, likes, Cheese equals kissing, dislikes, olives equals giving oral. Since when has it become acceptable for a teacher to ask a student what their sexual wants, desires, and boundaries are? Maybe our board members would like to answer this assignment and share their thoughts, just like our eighth grade students were requested to do. No? Do you object and find it incredibly uncomfortable? When we reached out for clarification, we were informed that the incorrect version of this assignment was posted in the curriculum by mistake and inadvertently used for instruction in the classes. The coordinator claimed to have caught the error in June, but failed to post the edited version intended for instruction. Why didn't the teachers that taught this assignment catch it and question it? Did they just teach the curriculum blindly, not questioning the morality of assignments required for the unit? Oh, so that's that's their excuse is that it was a mistake. And what 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 kind of accident? Oh, we tripped and fell and accidentally uh, sexually groomed children. I mean, what? How, how is this an accident? It's very, very much intentional. This was something that they obviously meant to do. The only, as always, when you hear about uh, mistakes, when there's a when there's some some horrific thing that makes its way into the curriculum, and then the the school board members, or the teachers, and the administrators say, "Oh, it was a mistake." We never, no, the mistake was parents finding out about it. That was the mistake. Uh, because the they, the kids aren't supposed to go home and tell the parents, right? Parents aren't supposed to know about that. Th- this is why the left has been very clear that this this is it's none of your business what happens at the school. You shouldn't have any say in that. That's that's up to the teachers. So the mistake is that uh, they found out, and I mean I'm not even going to try to understand uh, the some of the specifics here. So talk about your sexual preferences and then and then and how they relate to pizza top, toppings what? So each sex act is analogous to a pizza topping. So what 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 does Sam Britton like on his pizza? What how do we what what which pizza topping does that compare to I wonder. But when we see all of this well we have to remember we talked about this in uh, the backstage last night actually is um and it's, and it's good that, that parents are waking up to this now and are becoming aware and they're speaking out. And that's a very good thing. It's just unfortunate that we're about 60 years late. 
better late than never. I mean, it's good that we're starting now. But all of this, as I explained last night, all of this was inevitable. The moment that comprehensive, what they what they used to call, I suppose they still call comprehensive sex education. Once that became um, ubiquitous in the school system, once that made it into every curriculum, every every school in the country, which it has been for decades now. Once that happened, all of this was inevitable. This is a logical extension of that. And as bad as this is, I mean, you're asking eighth graders. Not only are you talking to them about the sexuality and sexual preferences, but you're asking them to specifically tell you what their sexual desires are. You're, you're an adult talking to children, asking for their sexual desires. You go up to a kid on the street, you take one of these teachers and um, put them in, uh, in civilian clothes out, out just walking on the street. And they go up to an eighth grader and say, hey, uh, little kid, can you tell me about your sexual desires? You do that and it's, it, you're going to prison for that. Now you're, now you're on the sex offender registry. But put the kid behind a desk and put you also behind a desk in, 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 the, in a classroom and, and now all of a sudden it's okay? No, of course not. But as bad as this is, it's not that much worse it's worse only by a matter of a few degrees from um, the kind of thing that they were doing in, in sex ed classes when I was going to school or back in the 90s. This is the logical extension of, of comprehensive sex ed. The moment we went from, let's tell kids um, just about the birds and the bees, where babies come from, human anatomy, the biology of sexual reproduction, okay, of, co- of course that's going to be in the curriculum, that's part of science, that's part of anatomy, you know, and, and at a certain age, when they get to a certain point, kids are going to learn about that. They're going to learn about reproduction. But the moment we went from learning about the scientific facts of sexual reproduction to um, the, the, the teachers and the school system, they're going to, you know, impart certain views, certain a, a value system about the sexual act itself. So it went from reproduction to here are the attitudes that you should have about sex. Once that threshold was crossed, all of the rest of this was going to follow, inevitably. And the problem is that for years and decades even, yeah, there, there have always been some conservatives criticizing comprehensive sexual sex ed, sex ed on these grounds. But for years, they were shouted down as uh, prudes and Puritans. And now a lot of the people that were doing the shouting are outraged. And they're showing up at the school boards outraged. And I'm glad they are. But it's too bad that you're 20, 30, 40 years late. And this is not just about I told you so. This is more like next time. Try to catch on to these things much sooner. All right. Uh, This is from Politico. It says Democrats are making a U-turn on mask mandates just in time for the midterms. It's happening among the party's governors, several of whom are easing up their masking rules as COVID's Omicron wave fades. And it's happening on the Hill where Democrats are suddenly lining up to call for rollbacks of the nation's most noticeable pandemic era rule. Their pandemic pivot comes as they brace for a brutal November election in which the virus is shaping up to be Democrats' biggest blind spot. 
Um, many in the party are now coming around to what swing district lawmakers have privately warned for weeks, that the Biden administration needs to drastically rethink its handling of COVID, particularly in the suburbs. Those vulnerable Democrats worry that ugly clashes over masks, school closings, and vaccine mandates will crush them in purple districts this fall. And it will. And there's nothing they can do to stop it now, thank God. Um, and as, as more and more school districts and states get away from masking, uh, we're starting to see how kids are reacting to that. So I just want to play, play one clip for you. Here's a class in, in an elementary school in Nevada when they, they first learn that the mask mandate has been lift, lifted. And these kids look like they're, I don't know, in first or second grade. And um, here's how they react to it. Watch this. Starting tomorrow, we don't have to wear masks anymore. Yeah, remember when they told us that, uh, oh, it's no big deal to have the kids wear the mask. They don't care. They're fine. They don't mind. No, it, it turns out when you when you force anyone to muzzle their faces for hours a day, every single day, it's, it's a rather unpleasant experience. A lot worse than unpleasant, actually. For kids, it is legitimately psychologically traumatizing. And there's no undoing the trauma now, by the way. You, you can't just flip a switch and it's over. That's why when I watch videos like that, um, it, it's, it makes you happy to see that, that the kids are finally being freed from their muzzles. But it's also infuriating when you think that the, the reason they're so excited is that they have been abused this way for the last two years. And that's why we, there's, there, there can't be any forgiveness here. You know, among among leaders and lawmakers who are responsible for this, and now they're changing their tune. We we have to always remember it and never forgive it ever. Which is easy, also because they're not even asking for forgiveness. They're not admitting that they were wrong. No, instead, what they're telling us is that uh, oh, well, you know, we don't need the masks anymore because th- things have changed with COVID, or uh, you know, we've learned certain things. No. As I've been saying all along, we, we, we have learned really nothing. We haven't learned anything about masks. Everything we know about masks today, all of that information was available before COVID. Um, and yeah, we've, we've learned about COVID as we've gone along, but most of what we know about COVID today, we also knew almost at the, almost at the very start. Especially the fact that it, doesn't, it uh, does not impact kids nearly to, the, nearly to the extent that it impacts older adults. That's one of the enduring facts of COVID that we knew almost right away, and it hasn't changed. So the changes in policy now, they have nothing to do with things that we've learned. So we haven't really learned much that we didn't already know. And they also are not in response to any kind of changing circumstance as far as the virus goes. They're in response to changing political circumstances and social circumstances. But the virus is still out there. You know, they're, 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 I don't know how many cases there are a day now, but it's it's close to peak. Um, thousands and thousands of cases, new cases a day. But what they're finally uh, relenting, the, the fact that they're finally being forced to relent to and submit to is that, um, is that it, it's just, as some of us have been saying for years now, COVID is always going to be with us. 
So at a certain point, either we're going to have these measures in place forever or at a certain point, we're just going to stop. And if we just stop at a certain point, then that's always going to be arbitrary. And it's always going to be the case that we never really had to do this at all. So don't let these people get away with it. Um, Don't forgive them for it. And I also don't forgive the people, even people outside of the government that were pushing these measures. It's one thing in the in the very early weeks and months of the of the pandemic when this was new for everyone and everyone was kind of out of sorts and trying to make sense of it and everything like that. Um, that's one thing. But people that as recently as a few months ago were still pushing this. I don't I don't I don't forgive them. I never will. You know, when kids started killing themselves, we've known about that for a long time. That was happening last year. If that wasn't enough for you, if that didn't convince you, and then you had your your moment of of recognition when the when the clouds opened up and, and the sun poked through and, and, and that happened like last week, it's too late. In my view. This is from the Daily Wire. It says a new Disney Junior show called Rise Up, Sing Out includes an episode with a song designed to teach preschoolers about racial microaggressions in the latest woke effort by the network. The song Speak Up features a young child who is surprised that another child has a parent with darker skin, and that launches into a song, and I know you're hoping that you'll get a chance to hear the song, and you will. Here it is. Bye, Mom. Hey, Gabrielle. I didn't know that was your mom. Your skin is so much darker than hers. Hold it. Did that comment make you feel uncomfortable? That's a microaggression. What's a microaggression? A microaggression is when someone says or does something that makes you feel bad. Sometimes just because of your race. But you know what? He's wrong. You should be proud of your skin. It's what makes you, you. I know just how you feel, mommy. Okay. It's such an unusual enough of that. So microaggressions. Uh, by the way, kids, if there's any kids watching this, um, a microaggression, that uh, w- what they're calling a microaggression, that is actually when someone says something to you that they didn't mean to be offensive, but for whatever reason, you're offended by it. That's actually, that's what they mean when they say microaggression. That's why it's, that's why it's micro. Right. It's now if someone says something to you that they're that they that they intend to be offensive, they're trying to insult you. That's not a microaggression. That's just aggression. They're they're being aggressive in their words. So a microaggression is when someone says something they didn't mean they didn't mean to offend you, but for whatever reason, you're offended by it. And you know what you should do in response to that? No, you don't need to break out into song about it. You don't need to go run and tell anybody. Um, you don't need to go talk to your lawyers or your parents' lawyers. Um, you know, no, the, the, the correct response is to, is to, is to move on. Okay. Is to immediately move on with your life. Now you could always ask them too. So rather than going into the song and dance, you could just ask the person, Oh, Hey, what did, what did you mean by that? 
Uh, yeah, that that hurt my feelings. Did, was that is that what you were trying to do? And if they say, oh no, I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I didn't, I didn't mean anything by it. Then the correct response from you is, oh okay. And, and then go live your life. Just just move on with your life. That's all. That's the beauty of it. Because the thing is, every you're gonna, you're going to encounter stuff like that every single day. That's that's just part of human interaction. Every day you're going to have awkward conversations with people. And, and, and especially because when you're encountering a new person, you don't know that well. And you don't know them. They don't know you. We all have our own little particular specific hang-ups and pet peeves. And, and not, not everyone, people don't know that when they first encounter you. So they're just being themselves. And, and they don't know what your buttons are that they, that they, that they should avoid pushing. And so you just, you just move on with your life. That, that's all you have to do. Very, very simple. And in fact, if someone says something to you that they did not mean to be offensive and you take, you choose to take offense by it, if you, you choose to be offended by it, then now that's on you. So actually now you're the bad guy. You, you're, you are choosing to take it there. And now that is 100% your fault. In fact, microaggressions are, they're basically glorified pet peeves. And it's the same thing with a pet peeve. You know, a pet peeve is, a, is something that, it's a basically innocuous thing that someone might do that for whatever reason annoys you. And that's your problem. If it's innocuous and it's kind of normal, and we all have stuff like that, things people do that kind of annoys, well, that, that's, that's, that's your problem. It's not anybody else's problem. So the example they give in that song is someone uh, is uh, uh, another example. Someone comments on the girl's hair. There's nothing wrong with someone making a comment about your hair. If that offends you, it's your problem. Now, that's the message to kids and to adults, but, it's, but specifically to adults. Uh, every time something like this comes up with like the Disney Channel and there's another, another uh, episode or song and dance, you know, in, in, uh, indoctrinating kids into the woke ideology, the leftist ideology. You always have parents who are respond to this. I've seen some of the reactions on social media, parents that are shocked and surprised by it. Well, if you're, if you're still allowing your kid to watch the Disney channel, how many of the, of these kinds of things do you need to see before you stop putting the Disney channel on for your kid? What you need to understand is that all, all of the mainstream kids shows, if they're, if they're you know, owned by Disney or any of these big companies, all of them are going this direction. They either already are hopelessly woke or they will be very soon. Every single one. None of them are safe. Just You should just know that. Same thing is happening with all, with, with all uh, shows and films for kids and for adults. You know, we're getting more information now about the Lord of the Rings uh, series the, that they've spent like a billion, I think literally a billion dollars they've spent on this thing for Lord of the Rings series for, series for Amazon. And we haven't seen a trailer yet, but they've got, you know, they're leaking more information about it. We've started to see some of the characters and some, some, of, the, some of the plot details and actors and everything. And uh, yet again, you see on social media the reaction from some conservatives saying, oh, I hope this is good. I hope it isn't woke. I don't know. And they're no, it is definitely going to be woke. 100%. It's Amazon spending a billion dollars on a, on a 
Lord of the Rings series. What do you think they're going to do? What, have, have respect for the original material? No, they have no respect for it. They're not capable. They don't think that they, that they even can just tell a story anymore. There are always going to be these elements. So ab- abandon all hope when it comes to franchises in, in general, TV, movies in general, unless you're a Daily Wire member. And then you can watch all of our uh, entertainment properties that are not woke at all. All right. Um, let's see. What else do we got here? CNN is still trying to sort through this uh, Joe Rogan situation. And they put out a tweet yesterday. It says, Joe Rogan is one of the most popular podcast hosts in the world, despite a series of controversies. CNN Business spoke with a researcher who has studied his appeal to explain why his audience loves him. And so they've brought in a researcher to figure out why do people like Joe Rogan so much. And here's what they came up with. Watch this. The Joe Rogan Experience. Joe Rogan hosts one of the most popular podcasts in the world. I'm not I'm not an anti-vax person. Right. But despite his claims, he's used his platform to make false and inaccurate statements about COVID-19 and vaccines. If you're a healthy person and you're exercising all the time and you're young and you're eating well, and like, I don't think you need to worry about this. He's also used racist and offensive language. We get out and we're giggling. Oh, we're going to see Planet of the Apes. We walk into Planet of the Apes. <laughs> we walked into Africa, dude. Even with these controversies, Rogan remains wildly popular. So the question is, why? I've probably spent hundreds of hours listening to Joe Rogan. Yeah, no, easily hundreds of hours. Gabriel Wisniewski Parks is a research fellow at UNC Greensboro who has studied Rogan's appeal. What makes him so magnetic to his audience is his very vocal resistance to tribalism. This is somebody who can have on his podcast Ben Shapiro and Alex Jones and have deep and interesting, meaningful conversations with them. And then in one other breath, he can have on Cornell West and Bernie Sanders and do the exact same thing. And this really resonates with people. And one other connection we can make that I don't think should be overestimated is Joe Rogan's background as a stand-up comedian. This archetype of the comedian as the truth teller. Of course, they had to bring this dork in there to uh, research and find out. Because CNN is, they are, they are absolutely stumped. Um, they don't understand how to get people to watch things. Obviously, you know, because they, they only have five viewers. And so... They're looking at Joe Rogan, and uh, we know there's a lot of a lot of envy that plays into it. But they also are sort of interested from a scientific perspective, trying to figure how does this guy do do this. And so they have to bring in a Joe Rogan researcher to tell them. And what are his findings? Well, um, he's funny. People like funny things, and people like comedians. You know, they like to laugh. So we needed a PhD candidate. You know, we, we needed to bring him in. He, need, he needed to spend hundreds of hours researching. I would love, by the way, to be a fly on the wall uh, watching as that researcher is, you know, listening to Joe Rogan, subjecting himself into it, to, to it in order to research it. Just crying, probably sobbing uncontrollably at everything that he's hearing. That'd be fantastic. Um, but after all of his research, they, he's discovered that uh, people like to laugh. Wow. And also, um, people like to hear, you know, different interesting conversations and they like to hear from different sorts of people. Uh, You know, I could have told you that without listening to any Joe Rogan at all. And whatever you're paying your Rogan researcher, you can pay me half of that. 
And I'll listen to Joe Rogan's podcast and give you similar insights. Um, all right. Uh, I've been debating whether we're even going to put this up on the screen. I don't know if I can put it up on the screen or what we're... I don't know what's going to pop up here, but um, do we have the... Okay, Adidas put out this ad. Do we have the actual... Do we have the picture? Can we put the picture up there? We don't have the... Okay, we don't have the picture. Well, then there's no point of this. Um, Adidas put out an ad uh, for their bras, I think, their sports bras. And uh, you could go to Twitter if you really want to find it. And it's just... It's uh, 25 pairs of breasts naked breasts that they just put up there on Twitter, which apparently nudity is allowed on Twitter. They, you know, they counted get removed or anything. Now put that tweet back up. I got to read that tweet. Um, and then they're, they're justifying why they did this because this is to advertise sports bras, right? So they put naked breasts up there. It, it, it really makes me fearful of whenever they decide to advertise their um, jock straps, like what's going to happen then. But, you know, why, why are, if you're going to go that route, why would the breasts not, why would, wouldn't you put bras? Wouldn't they have bras on? Because that's what you're advertising. Well, they're explaining this. They say breasts, breasts are a natural part of the anatomy. It's time to remove the stigma to allow future generations to flourish. (laughs) So they put 25 breasts up there to allow future generations to flourish. Remove the stigma? What stigma is there around breasts? Where have you encountered a stigma? I'll tell you where there's a stigma, actually. There is a, I'll tell you who's stigmatizing uh, the female, female uh, breasts and the, the female form generally. Well, that would be uh, the sex change surgeons who are chopping the breasts off of uh, young, young women to try to turn them into boys. You know, the, the thousands of young women who are being indoctrinated and groomed and then subjected to that kind of butchery. That's where the stigmatization of breasts is going on. But anywhere else, I don't think it's really being stigmatized. But the interesting thing about that photo is, um, which you can't really see at all on the show, but if you go, you can see it. It's, it's, it, it looks almost like it's, it's weirdly kind of clinical because it's, it's like these disembodied, all you're seeing are disembodied torsos. It, it looks like, look, like snapshots you would find in a serial killer's basement. They look like they look like photos from a morgue or something, and so they've managed to take the female form and make it look like creepy and weird. I don't know. Maybe maybe this is part. Maybe there really is a conspiracy to turn everyone gay. Um, and that's, this ad is part of it. But it's they they managed to take the female form and make it. It's, it's, that's what I first thought. It's like, did you get these pictures at a morgue or something like that? So while they're trying to allegedly celebrate the female form, they end up with this dehumanized, kind of disembodied thing that just looks creepy and, uh, and disgusting. And that's part of what we see in our culture now of, um, of, on one hand, the left, everything is sexualized. And they seem to be obsessed with sort of presenting the human, you know, the human body in, its, in, a, in all of its naked glory. But at the same time, they also hate sex and they hate the human body. And so those, th- these two things sort of exist in tension. And my final point here also is, isn't it interesting that you never see this kind of thing? All jokes aside about their jockstrap ad, that ad is never coming out, thank God. But you, you never see this kind of thing with men, really. Because in the, in the ad with all the breasts, they also have, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that, they're, that some of these women are, are quite overweight. And so they're you know, breasts are appearing as well in the ad. 
all of the kind of body positivity and let's let's show off naked people. It's it's always women, if you notice. Never men. We're never celebrating fat guys. Something else to ponder as well. You know, with the ever-increasing numbers of car makes and models, it's impossible these days to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. So what happens is you go to the storefront and you go inside the store and you're looking for what you want and uh, they don't have it. They're going to ask you all kinds of questions and you're going to say, oh, I, don't, I can't answer those questions because I'm not a real man because I don't know anything about cars. And then the guy behind the counter is going to laugh at you while he goes and, and orders the parts anyway on his computer and then tells all his friends what a girly man you are. You could have avoided this just by going to rockauto.com at home. Um, you could pull your phone out of your pocket and just do it that way. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and very easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are extremely low all the time, and the selection is great as well. So, uh, what are you waiting for? All the parts you ever need at rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Let's get now to our comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. All right, you go to dailywire.com slash sweetbabycomments to leave a video comment. And let's uh, take a look at some of these. Play, let's play a clip. Uh, go to 14 first. Sweet Daddy Walsh, uh, as a person of height, I find it greatly oppressive whenever I go into a store and they don't have long enough shirts or pants. And unfortunately, unlike people of size, I cannot change that fact. Also, I have a new son, and I was wondering if you have any tips on stopping the pee fountain that ultimately always ends up getting on the walls. Sweet baby gang bro. Oh, well, as to the last question, there's nothing you can do. Uh, there, there really isn't. It's just don't even, it, ju- just accept the fact if you, have a, if you have a son, if you have a little boy in the house, um, there's going to be pee o- all over everything, everywhere, especially in the bathroom. And you can, you, you can try to do what you can to stem the tide, as it were. Uh, and control the problem, but it's it's. I've discovered after two sons, it's 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 a it's hopeless. You just have to accept. So much of parenting um, to maintain your sanity, you know, and, and find joy in parenting. A lot of it starts with acceptance, right? It's the first stage is acceptance. You just have to accept this is what your life is. And when you have a young boy, yeah, it's just going to pee everywhere. And that's just the way it's going to be. Um, as to the as to the point about uh, tall people being oppressed, I actually think that's you know, you have as good an argument as anybody for for being oppressed. And for some reason, tall people are never included. Short people sometimes, but tall people are never included in the uh, in the oppressed minority. But you think about when you're tall, uh, the physical inconvenience, the way that you know, the difficulty you just said in finding clothing, the way that. Uh, Rooms are, are not really built for your massive size. You try to, I'm not even all that tall. I mean, I'm tall, I'm above average height, but um, I'm not like freakishly tall. But even for me, you try to sit on an airplane, it's almost impossible. And then you have people making comments all the time. We're talking about microaggressions. If you're a very tall person, everywhere you go, your whole life, people comment on it. 
So I agree with you, sir. I think you have a, I think you have a, a case to be made for your own victimhood. And you should make it. Uh, because everybody else does. All right, a couple of written comments. Uh, da Brosif says, oh my goodness, could you imagine living a day in someone's mind that overthinks emojis that much? My dad, who is white, always uses black emojis. I assume that he didn't know how to correct his settings and never thought about it again. Unfortunately, I've now realized my dad is the reincarnation of, of Hitler. Uh, that's also, well, of course he's, he is. But if he's a white guy, then he's already basically Hitler. It's all, but it's also really funny to me, the, the thought that um, your white dad is using the black emojis because he can't figure out how to change the settings. Definitely don't help him. You're, you're, you're doing the right thing here. Just leave him, leave him to that. Um, and it's a good lesson for him to learn because why is your dad, as an adult male, using emojis in the first place? Uh, Jessica says, heads would have exploded if the degenerate masses had heard our pastor's sermon last week. He called out porn use, homosexuality, spoke about men, not women, being called to lead God's church. It gave me chills. It was all I could do not to applaud. He also did it in the most fatherly, loving way, not self-righteously or mean, not because of true love and, or, uh, or rather, but because of true love and concern for the people. Yeah, that's, it's the funny thing is if you, you, if you're a Christian, um, and you love some people, then you you want them to be holy and you want them to go to heaven. And so you're going to tell them things that will help them in that journey. Um, this is what pastors are supposed to do, but it is it is very scandalous and surprising for a lot of people, even Christians, because many people they could go their whole life and any any time they happen to wander into a church on the rare occasion that they do they never hear any messages like this they never hear a word about sin during sermons and homilies um, and then they finally hear they think well what is this no this this is what church is supposed to be uh, what else we got Sarah says Matt I've recently changed my views on the whole purity culture way of thinking I'm very conservative in my views and a Christian but I no longer believe in blaming women for men's thoughts men are absolutely capable of controlling their minds and what they think I think that there's a huge difference between lusting and noticing a woman and I think we often make men feel bad for noticing putting it on women to make sure men don't lust is ridiculous some men have a thing for feet some men have a thing for legs some for shoulders or necks I recently found out about someone I know who struggled not to lust after fully clothed normal women walking down the street on a daily basis. Even in countries when women are completely covered, uh, even in countries where women are completely covered, rapes are very common. Men who choose to will lust regardless of what someone is wearing. Often modesty is dependent on the culture. In some countries, it's completely normal for women to walk around topless. In other countries, you can't even show your face. I also don't think that he um, lumped in women giving birth with women wearing bikinis. If, if a man can't control his thoughts looking at birth photos, then he's not a safe person to be around. These are a bunch of random thoughts that I have about this topic. Highly recommend the book, The Great Sex Rescue. That is all. Okay. Um, here's, here's the difference. Though. Here's the point. I think it's a very simple point. And again, we're, we are speaking as Christians, right? I, I fully acknowledge that if you're not a Christian, if you're a secular person, any discuss, you're going to find any discussion of modesty to be fundamentally ridiculous. And um, that's a different conversation. That's not the conversation we're having right now. Because that's someone who's even more hopeless, right? And that's, that's a longer conversation. But talking among Christians, um, then I think it becomes very simple. Is that, that you should not be doing anything where you are explicitly attempting to lead someone into sin in their thoughts. And so I use the example, which I think is a good example. Because it's another, it's another way that modesty is supposed to be applied. 
because I would agree with you that the message about modesty, I think it's good to talk about modesty and as and talk about modesty as it pertains to what you wear. But that's that shouldn't be the entire message because there are other ways where people could be immodest. And so I gave the example yesterday of someone showing off, you know, their their the things that they buy and be very ostentatious and kind of showing off their wealth. And the reason why people do that is because they are trying to make other people envious. Now, if you just buy a car because you need a new car and you buy this car because you like it, and that's why you bought it because you like the car and it's the car that you need and you want and you're driving down the street and someone happens to see it and it just so happens that they really want that car too and they feel envious. Well, you didn't do anything wrong. But if you say, oh, you know, I want that car because that's going to show off how rich I am. And that's going to make everybody really envious of me. If you do that, then that's wrong because you're trying to engender those feelings in somebody else. So I think we could apply the same kind of concept to what to, to dress, to what you wear. So if you're just dressing in regular clothing and you're walking down the street and someone's lusting after you, that's well, obviously not your fault. But when you put on clothing because you're, because you're trying to attract that kind of attention, you're trying to create those sorts of uh, feelings and thoughts in someone else's mind, then as a Christian, it should be pretty obvious that that's wrong. So, I don't know. There we go. Now we can agree, hopefully, that uh, I'm right and you're wrong about this. Well, if you missed the world premiere of Shut In last night, then you seriously missed out. Not only did we get to share a film too gritty and thrilling for Hollywood, but we were able to tease out our next big film, Terror on the Prairie, which is a Western starring none none other than the great Gina Carano. We couldn't be more excited to be making good on our promise of bringing you real entertainment. And for for the over half a million that tuned in, half a million people, we seriously hope you enjoyed as much as we did. If you missed it, don't worry. It's streaming on our website for members only. And if you're not a member, head to dailywire.com slash subscribe and enter code SHUTIN for 30% off your membership today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, often I like to use this segment for a bit of levity, talking about things that are perhaps not as serious, a bit more frivolous, uh, especially on a Friday. But, but sometimes the news cycle forces me to wade into deeper and more serious waters and deal with true tragedies and outrages. That's what brings us to the rapper Jim Jones. Not to be confused with the cult leader Jim Jones with the, you know, the, the poison Kool-Aid. We have to drink a different kind of Kool-Aid when we encounter this story, the Kool-Aid of injustice. Headlines from outlets like Yahoo and The Independent tell us that Jim Jones was recently the victim of racial profiling at the Gucci store in Manhattan. But that doesn't tell the whole story. Not even close. As it turns out, Jones was with fellow rapper Five Mikes going to various designer stores while filming a video for their latest song, Goin' Shoppin'. Now, of course, going shopping sounds like the name of a song that the Spice Girls would have made in 1997, but that's not the case. Jones and Five Mikes are, are grown men who, who happen to love shopping, and they wanted to make a song about it. And on this particular day, they visited Louis Vuitton, Bergdorf Goodman, whatever that is, and um, Bergdorf, is that, a, is that a fancy clothing shop? People, people intentionally wear clothing? Bergdorf? Okay. And a number of other stores while uh, buying things and singing about how much they love shopping. Everything was fine until they made it to Gucci. And I will now let Jones tell the story in his own words. And I warn you that this is very difficult to hear. We've been in Gucci for about an hour, right? And we in Gucci in the VIP. We've been in Gucci for like two hours. Right? Since we came in here having nobody came and showed us no courtesy, no amenities, no nothing. Period. Not even a drink of water. Pause it there so that we can digest what we've heard so far. 
uh, Jim Jones and Five Mics are in the VIP section of Gucci. You may not have realized that stores have VIP sections, but they do. And that's where the most victimized people end up. You might even call it the VIV section, very important victims. And Jones and Five Mics are there literally dying of thirst. They've been in the VIV section for an hour, maybe even two hours, without any form of sustenance. They're on the verge of death when Jim Jones finally pulls out his phone to bravely document what might prove to be his last words on earth. His tale of suffering only gets more harrowing from there. Listen to this. Ask to speak to the manager. Send me a black guy out here to start telling me some So they got the black guy racial profiling on black people. Ask to speak to a manager bigger than him. Everybody disappeared. Ain't nobody come out yet. I still ain't getting, I still ain't getting no sparkling water. I still ain't getting no champagne. I still ain't getting nothing. I didn't have a salesperson inside of my VIP suite the whole time I was there. I had to keep screaming for VIP people to help me out. Now everybody don't know where the real manager is. You heard? It's, it's ty- I'm tired of this. We're spending all this money as entertainers inside these stores. They hire these black people, and these black people are more racist than white people when they get their job inside of Gucci. All of a sudden, you, you stop playing with us, bro. Still haven't seen a manager yet. He's tired of this. He's not going to take it anymore. Won't someone speak up for the entertainers in the VIP section at Gucci? And it's even worse than I thought. It's not that this man had been deprived of regular water. I mean, what's regular water going to do for him anyway? Regular water might be acceptable for washing your hands or watering the grass, but you can't drink the stuff. Jim Jones required sparkling water, and yet none was provided to him in a timely fashion. They couldn't even scrounge up any champagne for the poor guy. Again, you may not have realized that getting served champagne by customer service at a retail store was even an option, but it is. And I can tell you that you know, I walked into Walgreens last week and I shouted to the cashier, yes, I have arrived. Please fetch me some champagne and caviar. And within three minutes, I was sitting at a table by candlelight in the moisturizer section, whining and dining. But then again, I'm white. This is the kind of treatment white people get everywhere we go. Jim Jones is a black man at Gucci Spending, he says, $30,000 on clothes and shoes. He doesn't have any privilege at all. He is such a victim that even other black people are racist against him. They're racist against him by their failure to submissively serve his every whim and need. Now, you might say that from the sound of it, if anything, he is racist against them. But you only say that because you are also racist against Jim Jones. You do not have his lived experience. Like the lived experience of spending 30 grand on designer clothing in one day. Something that only the most oppressed among us are able to do. Fortunately, thank God, uh, Jones and Five Mics did survive this experience um, somehow. Later, Jones posted an update to social media. He wrote, quote, Gucci, really some suckers. And for those looking from the outside saying this is some rich privilege, it's really not. It's about treating people with respect, no matter the race or what you may think you know about a person. And for people saying that spending money foolishly, you never know what a person been through. So You should never worry about what a person does with his. Very well put. I mean, it's none of your business how much money he spends, which is why he posted a video to Instagram telling everyone how much money he spent. You simply cannot know what this man has been through until he complains about it publicly, which he does a lot, apparently. And to think that Jones would be put through this ordeal during Black History Month, no less. It's the sort of thing that fills you with disgust and rage down to the pit of your being. You know, when I was in that third world country last week, and I, I thought those people were suffering, but I guarantee none of them, here's what I can tell you for sure, none of them have ever received poor customer service at Gucci. Their lives are blessed beyond measure in comparison to Jim Jones and his friend Five Mikes. In fact, speaking of his friend, from what I hear, they were so deprived and suffered such deprivation at Gucci that 
by the time they left, five mics was only three mics. That was bad. I'm sorry about that one. I know there's nothing I, I can do right now uh, to, to heal this wrong that uh, Jim Jones has suffered. But, but I'll, I'll be doing my part at least by boycotting Gucci stores from here on out. In fact, I've been boycotting Gucci my whole life in preparation for this moment. I have literally never purchased a single Gucci item. And I tell you right now, I promise you, I never will. It's the least I can do. And I can also say to Gucci and all of its employees with righteous fury, you scoundrels are canceled. And that'll do it for us today and for the week. Have a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Clavin.